All right. I'm excited to get back into Song of Solomon. It's, it's been a minute. Um, this is our third study in this book. We will finish the chapter tonight. Um, the first time that we went through this, we got through verses 1 through 4. And then the week after that, we got through verses, I believe we did 4 again, um, 4 through 10. So what I want to do really quick, just kind of get us caught up, and I can't go in depth on the things that we've already studied on, which I would encourage you to go listen to the teachings. We're going to, the first one's uploaded, the second one's coming tomorrow. I would encourage you that if you miss any of them, to go ahead and listen to them, so that way you get an understanding of where we're coming from. Uh, but in verse 1, chapter 1, Song of Solomon, I'm going to go ahead and read the entirety of the chapter, because we're going to finish it tonight. It says, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's, and here the Shulamite is speaking, the woman. She says, let him, kiss me with the mouth, uh, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Because of the fragrance of your, your good ointments, your name is ointment poured forth. Therefore, the virgins love you. Draw me away. And then the daughters of Jerusalem. This is like the, the narrators, per se, or the people who are watching from the outside. They say, we will run after you. And the woman says, the king has brought me into his chambers. And the daughters of Jerusalem respond, and they say, We will be glad and rejoice in you. We will remember your love more than wine. And the Shulamite says, Rightly do they love you. I am dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not look upon me, because I am dark. Because the sun has tanned me, my mother's sons were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. And she says to her beloved, Tell me, O you whom I love, where you feed your flock, where you make it rest at noon, for why should I be as one who veils herself but the flocks of your companion, by the flocks of your companions? And the beloved responds, this is the man in, the, in this scene, If you do not know, O fairest among women, follow in the footsteps of the flock and feed your little goats beside the shepherd's tents. I have compared you, my love, to my filly among the pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with chains of gold. And so tonight we'll pick up here in verse 11. The daughters of Jerusalem, they say, we will make you ornaments of gold with studs of silver. And the Shulamite responds, while the king is at his table, my spikenard sends forth its fragrance. A bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me that lies all night between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blooms in the vineyards of Engedi. And the beloved says, behold, you are fair, my love, Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes. And the Shulamite says, Behold, you are handsome, my beloved. Yes, pleasant. Also, our bed is green. The beams of our houses are cedar and our rafters of fur. You're like, what is going on here? <laughs> this makes no sense. But you know what? When you're in love, you say some weird stuff, you know? Um, but that's not really what's going, what's going on here. It's, it's very it, poetic, very descriptive. A lot of comparisons, a lot of contrasts. Um, not everything is to be taken literal in this sense. Uh, I, I, obviously, that's what happens when we read poetry. And so here we have this, this back and forth between a man and a woman, between the beloved and the Shulamite, with little interjections from the daughters of Jerusalem. Again, these are people that I would kind of see as like they're watching this relationship happening from the outside, right? Like here's this group of friends from the outside who are seeing what is happening between the Shulamite and the beloved. And so back and forth they go, they say a bunch of things. Again, I'm not going to have time to go through verses 1 through uh, 10, uh, because there's a lot to cover in that. 
But basically at the end here in verses 8, 9, and 10, what we see the beloved saying to the woman, she says, if you do not know, because she asks, like, where, where are you? Where can I find you? Where, where can we basically hang out to get to know each other better, right? And what we understood as we studied through this is that, that they are literally best friends, right? This is what's happening. They're best friends. They just want to communicate. They just want to get to know one another. There's nothing else happening beyond that at this moment. And so she says in verse 7, where, where do you feed your flock, right? So here he's tending, on, tending to his, his flock, and she says, where are you? He says, if you do not know, fairest among women, right? Like, you are the most beautiful woman. Why don't I just throw it in there really quick? He says, follow in the footsteps of the flock and feed your little goats beside the shepherd's tents. I have compared you, my love, to my filly among uh, Pharaoh's chariots. So basically, like, the, the, the best, the most grandest, the most beautiful, because that is what Pharaoh would have displayed with his fillies. He says, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with chains of gold. Basically, come find me where I'm working, follow in the footsteps of where everyone else is, and you'll find me. And then he makes compliments unto her. Um, and what we're going to see tonight that's very similar to what we see in verse 10 is that he compliments like little unique things about her, right? Very like intimate details, specific details about her. And, it, and honestly, as we read this, it's, it's nothing sexual, right? It's like, okay, like, like cheeks, right? And I know we were giggling last time we talked about this, like literally her face cheeks, right? Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with chains of gold. And then last time that we, we covered this as well, we talked about how, um, we talked about the, the outward beauty that we have, right? But how God really, he cares about the inside, right? The inward beauty. And now there's nothing wrong with the outward beauty. And we, I think we quoted, um, what book was it, guys? When it came to ornaments and makeup and jewelry and all these different things that we can, you know, adorn ourselves with. Help me. It's okay, I forgot to, so. But go back and listen to it, it's in there. Um, I think it was Peter. I think Peter talks about that. You know, how we can adorn ourselves outward, but what's more important is, is the hidden person of the heart, right? Or, yeah, the hidden person of the heart. Um, so I'd encourage you to go listen to that. So in verse 11, right here, the, the daughters of Jerusalem, okay, the, the narrators, the ones who are on the outside, they see everything that's happening. They see the responses between the two. They see how well the, um, the beloved, the man is treating the woman, the Shulamite. And, and what is happening is they're, they're feeding off of this, right? Like he is being an example to those that are watching. Because one thing that we see, unless you live in a bubble and there's just the two of you and your last two people on earth, that people will see how you treat one another. They'll see how your relationship goes, and more often than not, how you treat the other person is gonna set the example or is gonna set the precedence of how others are gonna treat them as well. And so we see this happening here because their response here from the daughters of Jerusalem in verse 11, it says, we will make you ornaments of gold with uh, studs of silver. So basically, as they're watching this, they also, as the beloved did for the maiden, for the Shulamite, they also want to bless her, right? They want to join in on this. Like, they, they see how much that the king, how much the man has cared for her, how he has been kind to her, how he's been good to her, and so they want to treat her the same exact way. And I think this is important why we should be mindful of how we treat one another publicly, right? And obviously, publicly doesn't matter as much as privately, right? Because privately sometimes can be different than publicly, but publicly should be just, I mean, honestly, just as important because people are watching. And it's not that we treat one another differently because people are watching, 
right? But even Paul says that. He's like, you know, abstain from the appearances of evil. Well, why would we do that? Well, that has nothing to do really with my walk with the Lord, but really how people perceive things. And because we live in a world where we have relationship and we have communion with other people. And so we do have to be mindful of how we treat one another when it comes to uh, people who are watching or in, the, in public. And so what, what they see happening, again, is that she is being treated really, really well, and they want to treat her just as well. Here's a man who values her, right? And they're going to reciprocate that. They're going to follow with that, right? They say ornaments of gold with studs of silver. Again, following the, the, the example that the beloved has set by wanting to treat her extravagantly, by honoring her, right? And I think women, and maybe not all women, but most women, they appreciate these kinds of gifts, right? They, they appreciate the gifts that, you know, I think maybe it doesn't always have to be expensive, but there has to be some type of value attached to it. And maybe it's just um, being, uh, what's the word? Like my wife, for example. Like, I'm sure she would appreciate something if I got her something expensive, and then she'd be like, why would you do that? We could have gotten a new car, right? Um, but, you know, sometimes it's a matter of being, um, you know, mindful of, like, your time. Maybe you put a lot of time into something, or you put a lot of thought into it, right? I, women appreciate that. Right? I mean, men do too, but we're talking about in this instance right here where the woman, she's appreciative of the things that are given to her, something that's worth the expense, like silver and like gold. And here, this is what they say, we will make you ornaments of gold with studs of silver. And the Shulamite says here in verse 12, she says, while the king, again, speaking of the man, the beloved, while the king is at his table, my spikenard sends forth it's fragrance. Anybody ever smelled spikenard before? No? Me neither. <laughs> Do you think it smells good or bad? Good. It does smell good. Is there anywhere else in scripture where we see spikenard? No. Think about it. It's somewhere in the New Testament. All right. Turn with me really quick. John chapter 12. That's where it is. John chapter 12. Thank you. So again, she's saying, while the king is at his table, my spikenard sends forth its fragrance. Now, as you're turning there, spikenard is, it's an oil. It's kind of like a perfume, somewhat of a perfume. Um, it smells really good. It's spices, ointments. Um, and with spikenard specifically, it was something that was insanely expensive, okay? It wasn't like, you know, we'd go down to, like, Ulta and buy a $20 thing of spikenard. This was really, really expensive. It was costly. So in John chapter 12, we get another example of spikenard, and I want to read this to you to give you, to set the precedence and to give you the, the idea here, or the understanding, that this is a very valuable oil, okay? And then we'll, we're going to take that understanding, come back to verse 12, and understand that when she gives forth her spikenard, there's something to that, okay? There's something valuable that's going on here. So chapter 12, verse 1 of John, it says, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, 
and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had money, had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial, for the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. And as I, as I read that, I was like, dude, oh my gosh, this is bad, but sometimes I could relate to Judas. <laughs> I'm like, dude, like, to give you an understanding of how expensive that is, that's literally about a year's wage. That's a lot. That's, I don't know what the average wage is around here, but let's say like forty, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 that she just poured out in a matter of, what, five minutes? and then used her hair and wiped it on his feet. And Judas, obviously, he's not thinking about the poor, right? I mean, the Bible tells us that. He's, he's being selfish. He's like, man, I could have used $40,000 or like 10% of that I could have used and stolen. But you wasted it on his feet, right? You wasted it on his feet. But then, but then we think about, okay, well, who is Jesus? Is he worthy of it? Yeah. There, there is no cost or value that's too much. Like, like, we can never give too much to the Lord. And I think it would be funny if we ever got to that, that notion or that thought that, wow, I can give way too much to the Lord. Because what we find out through Scripture is that we can test him in that, and we find out that he is a greater giver than we are. And obviously, we know the best gift that he's ever given us is something that's priceless, right? It's, it's redemption. It's salvation through his only son, through the Lord's only son. And so Mary, she, she gives this extreme, remarkable, expensive gift because Jesus was worthy of it, right? So a year's wage, I mean, that's a lot. And here's the thing, guys. It's like, it was a one-time use, don't you, right? Like you pour this out and you're not getting it back, don't you think? Yeah, pretty expensive. So once you pour it out, you can't get it back. And I think as we look at chapter 1 of Song of Solomon in verse 12, here she's, she's explaining to, the, or to us or sharing with us that her presence or the, the spikenard that she's sending forth, this fragrance, you know, it is a valuable and costly thing. And once it's poured out, you can't get it back. And I like that because one commentator I read kind of equated that to, to intimacy, to sex. And it's not always just sex per se, but there is other things that become intimate between a man and a woman. And what we find out and what we should know and what each man and each woman or each young man and each young woman should know is that the things that God has blessed us with, they are valuable. They're valuable. And once given, we can't ever take it back. And so, you know, I think a lot of, of preachers would talk about sex and like, you know, obviously, I think the Bible is pretty clear that we abstain from sex until marriage, right? I think there's, it's, it's more than just being pure for the, the sake of being pure and just saying you did it because there's so much value into that, what God has given us when it comes to sex. And what I, what I do want to say, and I want to make sure that I said, was that, I've, I've heard teachers teach before that basically if you have sex before marriage, like, that was your one shot. You screwed up, right? 
because you can't get that back. You can't, you can't do something for the first time again. Am I right or am I wrong? Does this make sense? But what I do want to share with you that I think some fail to share is that no matter what you have done or in some extreme cases what someone may have done to you, God can redeem and restore. God can redeem and restore. Now, obviously, we know, as Scripture tells us, that doesn't give us a license to sin and just say, hey, look, I'm just going to go have sex knowing that God can forgive me and he, and he can restore and, you know, he, he can see me once again as a virgin, per se, right? I, I wholeheartedly believe God can redeem and restore that, situations like that. But we don't, that's not a license to sin. That's not a license to take advantage of grace, right? These, these are situations where we find ourselves broken and repentant because we have fallen astray, because we have gone off the narrow path, and God can redeem and restore these things. And so I don't want to sit up here trying to, you know, preach so much about purity just, just for the sake of abstaining from sex, but I do believe that it's something that is important and it's, it's vital. And just as spikenard, it's, it's costly. It's valuable, right? It is, it's so highly important. And, and you will save yourself from not only consequences and, and grief, again, which God can redeem, but as we know, even the things that God redeems, there's still consequences of things that we have to face here on earth. You guys understand this, right? And there's still things that we can bring into a relationship that we would still have to work through. And again, God can work through those things. Nothing is beyond repair. You are never beyond repair when it comes to God. I want you to understand that. But it is so valuable, and it's something that you can't ever get, get back. And it's something that, um, how do I say this? Whitney and I, we did not have sex before marriage. We didn't. And I, I, want, I asked my wife if I could tell you guys that. And I wanted to tell you because it wasn't a matter of like, I don't know how to say it. We wanted to do what was right, what we knew the Lord called us to do. But I'll tell you this, we weren't perfect. And so I say that because it's not just always a matter of abstaining from sex. Because I think once we get the, get the idea in our head, like, how far can we go? You know what I mean? Like, how far can we go where God won't be mad or we won't actually have sex? And guys, listen, it, it's, it starts innocently, and we're going to talk about it tonight as we get a little further, that it's so important that we, when we date, when we court, whatever you want to call it, when you're hanging out, that we do things in the light, that we do things with integrity, because otherwise we start to, um, we start to, to allow things slowly in that we wouldn't have done before, right? But it's always a slow progression. It's always a slow progression, especially for us that are Christians. We, when we allow one thing to start happening over and over again. And so, like the spike nard, it's costly. It's, she says it sends forth its fragrance. And here, like, again, you see the intimacy they have without actually being intimate. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I mean, the, the communication that they have between each other, I could only imagine right now in 2023 what <laughs> a conversation looks like between a man and a woman who are trying to court. It's probably like, sup, you up? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I'm sure it's like not, it's probably bad. But here, the, the intimacy just in their communication it's, it's beautiful, right? She says, while the king is at his table, my spikenard sends forth its fragrance. A bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me. 
And I love this. She says that that lies all night between my breasts. What is she speaking of here? Are she saying a bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me that lies all night between my breasts? What it, what she's explaining is is the sense of security that she feels when she's with with him, right? And maybe not like that he's with her physically, right? He's probably off somewhere else in the middle of the night. They're not married yet, but she still has that sense of security that she's with him because of how the way he treats her, the way that he loves her, right? His love towards her has given her security. I mean, I I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever experienced this or have seen it, but there's many people who are fearful. They're, They're not secure in their relationship because they don't have that foundation of love, right, and trust. And that's not a good way to maintain a relationship. And so this is what she's speaking of. Again, the sense of security that she has, that, that his presence or the scent, right, the, the bundle of myrrh, it stays with her even when she's alone, even when he's gone, right? The thought of, of his fragrance, it stays with her, it sustains her. And I love that. And I think, you know, we can equate that obviously to the Lord, how when we have the Lord, like, we're unshakable, right? We have that sense of security. Nothing can touch us. And where does it all come from? Well, it comes from his love, right? The love that he has for us, the love that he's displayed to us. Psalm 16, 8, David says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved, right? So here David understands that the Lord's presence is always with him, right? Like the fragrance of the bundle of myrrh. The Lord's presence is always with me. And when he's with me, like nothing can move me. And I don't think David's always talking about some type of enemy that's trying to come at him with a sword, right? Because you and I, don't, we don't face that today. But there's many different things that, that can cause us to be moved. You know, things that can cause us to be fearful, to doubt. And with the Lord, like, it can't touch us, right? Knowing that he is at our side if we set him before us. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect la- love casts out fear. Right? Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. When we have received the love of Christ, which is perfect, right? It's the only type of love that is perfect. What does John tell us? What does the love cast out? Fear. Right? And it's not just fear of, like, anything. It's also really the fear of our Lord, that I can come before him. And this isn't talking about not having a reverence for the Lord anymore, but that I, I can have this, this love and this intimacy with a God who cares for me, that there is no fear in love. And so again, knowing that you are loved unconditionally, it brings a security to a relationship. It brings a security. But again, there has to be a love that's, that's unconditional and that type of love that we can have between a man and a woman, it doesn't happen without God. That unconditional love does not happen without God because it's only God's love that is unconditional. Because God is the only one that has ever set forth that love which was unconditional in the first place. We understand that, right? And I think we fail to, to realize that or think about it or to dwell on it, to mull on it, that honestly, when, when Christ died for me, when did he die for us, guys? What were we doing? How were we? What's our description? We were sinners. What else? Dead. What else? Ungodly. We despised him. We hated him. We didn't give him a second thought. Oh, yeah, and we didn't love him. 
Because what's, what's the world's standard of love? Well, if you love me, I'll love you, right? And maybe for a moment, I'll try to love you without you loving me back. But after a while, if you don't start loving me back, well, then I'm done, right? Because that's not fair. Well, what did Christ do? He loved us while we were yet still sinners, while we were ungodly. There was no condition attached to it. We could respond and reciprocate that love, and many of us have, but there's far more who have not. And yet God still sent his only son, right? Why? Because he loved the world. He loves everyone. Jeremiah 17 says this in verses 7 through 8. It says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is, in, is the Lord. For he shall be a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Again, when you have received that unconditional love, there is a security that you have with the Lord, that nothing is wavering. Nothing. Like if you've ever experienced the grace of God and the love of God, you understand this. We have the security in the Lord because of his love towards us. And I think that's one of the greatest doctrines that we see in Scripture, is the doctrine of salvation, that once we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, once we have experienced that love, because it's his love that draws us to him, right? It's his kindness that leads us to repentance, that once we have done that, nothing can ever separate us in that relationship. Nothing, no one and nothing can ever break up that relationship. Meaning you cannot lose your salvation that nobody can pluck you out of his hand, right? I mean, do we understand that sense of security that we have in the Lord because of his great love for us, that it's literally unconditional, that you cannot lose it, that there's nothing you can do any further to have him love you less or to never love you again? I mean, I think if we understand that and grasp that, I think it changes the way we do things and the way we, we handle things and the way that we handle ourselves, Right? John 10, 28, Jesus says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. We have that security. And again, where does that security come from? Well, it initially comes from the love that Jesus has for us. Romans 5, 1 through 11. Turn there really quick with me. It speaks of it even further. This eternal security that we have because of the love of God. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Keep turning there, I'll read. Paul says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. I think that's what security brings. It brings peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You should know every day that you are secure in Christ because you are being shown the love of Christ every day. Like, you should experience the love of Christ. And sometimes it's a matter of reminding ourselves through the word, and sometimes it's a matter of allowing the Holy Spirit to pour it upon us and realizing that I am loved. I am deeply loved. And I think there's many of us in this room, maybe not many, but maybe a few of us in this room 
who we struggle with that and we doubt that. And I'm here to relay a message that the Bible has told us, that the Holy Spirit has, has shown you or is going to show you that God has poured out his love. And we're going to see that this word for pour out, it's not like a trickle effect. It's not like, you know, putting, you know, an eyedropper droplets in your eyeball. It's not even a matter of opening up a faucet and it's, it's pouring out. No, this, this speaks of something greater and way more intense. That's how much he loves us. And it's part of the Holy Spirit's ministry to pour out that love and to remind us in our hearts that we are loved by God. So Paul goes on to say in verse 6, for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Remember, that was our description. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love towards us. What was the condition? There was no condition because he demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Again, the Holy Spirit has been given. The Holy Spirit has, it, it, he does many different jobs. He has many different ministries. And oftentimes it's dependent upon whether the person is born again or not. But for those of us who are born again, we're children of God, and we have experienced the love of God, and we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, part of his ministry is reassuring us of God's love constantly. Ephesians chapter 1, you don't need to turn there. I'm just going to read two verses, 13 and 14. Paul says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. All of what Paul is talking about is based on the love of God, the Holy Spirit does his work because of that love, and the Holy Spirit reminds us over and over through the many different ministries that he does, the security that we have in Christ, that we, we're stable. Nothing can change the way that, we see, that Christ sees us. Nothing can. So after we hear the gospel, we respond, right? We believe. We trust Jesus Christ. He redeems us from our sins. But again, what happens at that very moment when we put our faith, we repent of our sins, what happens? The Bible tells us we're born again, right? The old, the old man's gone, and, and behold, the new man. We've been given a new heart. The Holy Spirit comes and indwells in us. And the Holy Spirit, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, he's called the Holy Spirit of promise, right? And, and remember, when God makes a promise and the Holy Spirit is, is the triune God, one aspect of God, one person of God, I should say, the Holy Spirit of promise, he also cannot break a promise. And not only is he this promise, but he is the seal. He's an omnipotent Holy Spirit, a seal that can never be broken. Meaning, again, that there's security in Christ, that there's nothing you can do to lose your salvation. No one can take it away. And Christ himself won't even take it away. It's not that like, oh my gosh, Jeffrey, yeah, like I first died for you when you were ugly and ungodly and gross and disgusting. And you hated me. You despised me. You know, it was, you were the person that put me on the cross. You spit on me. You, you did not love me. All these different things, right? But then you were redeemed, and I forgave you. 
But then you know what? As you were a Christian, you messed up, you walked away, you backslid, you questioned. I take that back. God doesn't do that. And and he's very clear in Scripture that he does not do that. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. And so we have this seal and this promise of the Holy Spirit, this promise that it's, it's a completion of the work that God has started. God has started something from the foundation of the world, even before the foundation of the world, and he's going to complete this good work that he has started in us. He will complete it. It's almost like it's a guarantee to our inheritance as, as children of God, but it's almost like this. It's kind of like, you know, nowadays when we get engaged, what does the man give the woman? A ring. Well, what does that do? Does that just tell other guys she's off limits? No, what's the purpose of it? In a sense, I would say it's more of a, a promise, right? It's like a, for a lack of better terminology, like a down payment, <laughs> right? Now, when people get engaged, do they break up? Yeah, sometimes. Because what happens to people? They fail right? And that can be broken. But when God makes a promise, again, I want to make sure we understand this very clearly, that can't ever be broken. God doesn't break promises. It's not in his nature. Like, he literally, if he tried, he couldn't, right? It's no different than God trying to do, to, to do something evil or to sin or to lie. Like, it's against his very nature. He cannot do it. It's no different than if you went up on a 10-story building, took a bowling ball, and threw it off the building, What's going to happen 100 times out of 100 times? Is it going to go up or is it going to go down? Is it going to float? No, never. Unless, like, a drone's attached to it. I don't know. But you get the point. By the very nature of gravity, what's it going to do? It's going to fall because that's the nature of gravity. Otherwise, gravity wouldn't be gravity. It's the same thing with God. If God sinned or did evil or broke promises, he would not be God. But because it's his very nature, it's something that he can never do. And so there's security that we have in that. Again, in verse 5 of Romans, Romans, uh, Paul says, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts, hearts by the Holy Spirit. Again, like there's an intensity and a passion and desire that we have from God to us, but it can and it should be reciprocated to God. And so as the Holy Spirit is indwelling in us, God continually, it's not like God just this one time showed us love on the cross. No, he continually lavishes and pours out his love upon us. Again, like I said earlier, it's not like it's a little bit. It's a lot. The Greek word, it actually speaks of the time when angels pour out the Lord's wrath on the world during the tribulation, when, when God pours out his wrath. Like, like, it opens up. And he's speaking very similar to the fact that his love is poured out and opened up and given to us lavishly. Right? It even speaks this word, to pour out even speaks of the shedding of the blood of Abel and Stephen when they were murdered, right? This is the word that, that God used, that the Lord Jesus used when speaking about the way that he would die. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 20, he says, For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. God's blood had to be poured out. Well, why? What did we receive from that? Well, the remission, the forgiveness, the canceling of our sins, right? So, and our salvation, we receive that, that what God did, pouring out the blood, right, which we, we receive the remission of sins. 
we receive the righteousness of God, right, his covering, right, but we also receive the love of God poured out upon us, drenching us, just overflowing upon us. It cascades pretty much like a waterfall. And in verse 8, Paul says God demonstrates his own love towards us. Again, it wasn't only on the cross where we see God's love, but continually we see God's love given through the Holy Spirit. Right? There's this intimacy we now have with God and this personal love that we have for him. And I think God wants us to know that it's not a matter of just logic, understanding, and reasoning in our head that we know that God loves us, that we just read it in word, it's words, that God loves me. It's not a matter of someone saying to you on their back of their shirt that says Jesus loves you, right? It goes beyond that because that, that's just like head knowledge. So what does God do? Well, he allows the Holy Spirit to minister to us by knowing and feeling that we are loved, that there's an intimacy, right? That there, there's a personal connection that we have with the Lord, that even the emotions that we have come from the love of God. I'll read this to you really quick. In Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing, right? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? As it is written, Paul says, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, Paul says this, I love it, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's something I want you to understand by knowledge, but also by experience, by feeling, by emotion, by the Holy Spirit working through his ministry of pouring out the love of Christ upon us. And once we know that, once we feel that, once that's established, we know that we're completely secure in Christ. Again, nothing can separate us. Not even angels or principalities. No powers. He says no height, no depth. Basically, Paul's just saying nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I believe even sin cannot separate us from the love of God. But I do believe that sin can separate us from some of the intimacy that we can enjoy with God. That sin can maybe sometimes skew our mindset. It can, it can even rob us of our joy. But it can never separate us from the love of God once we are in God's family. Someone put it this way, if God loved us only because we love him, then our salvation would depend on the faithfulness, loyalty, commitment of our own hearts, our own treacherous hearts, But since God loved us as sinners, when we had no love for him, as Christ died for the ungodly, our salvation depends not on our loveliness or our sinfulness, but on the faithfulness, loyalty, and commitment of God's love. It's all upon God's love. It's all on him. I'm so thankful too. And if God proved his love by sending a son to save us, if he further proved his love by giving us his his Holy Spirit, Will his love not keep us? If he loved us while we were yet sinners, will he not love us even though we are sometimes sinful? And then Paul expounds on this notion even further in Romans. And he talks about, again, we don't have a license to sin. But where, where, the, where the Holy Spirit is, 
there's freedom and there's liberty. But by we, we find out in that freedom and liberty that we have in the Holy Spirit that it doesn't give us grace or license to sin or take advantage of the love that God continually pours out upon us. But rather, because I am loved by God, I want to love him back. And the way that I can love him back, the greatest way that you can show God that you love him is how? You should know this. This should come off right like that. Huh? Keep his commandments. Obey his commands. Obey his word. That's what he says. If you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. Are you going to completely obey them? No. Does that mean God loves you any less? No. Does that mean you stop trying to obey them? No. And again, the only way we can do this is with the help of God. So back in verse, uh, where are we? Song of Solomon. I'm going to try to get through this. Give me 10 minutes. I know my parents are outside. My beloved, in verse 14, is to me a cluster of henna blooms and the vineyards of Engedi. Okay, here's, um, who is this speaking? The Shulamite, the woman. She's basically saying, Engedi was famous, like, it's famous as, and known as an oasis, right? Somewhere where, you know, in the wilderness, here's this lush place with water and life that where typically it should be barren, should be dry, it should be dead. But she's speaking of this cluster of henna blooms, right? They're alive, they're beautiful, they smell good. And basically what she is saying is that even like as, as a weary traveler, somewhere where it should be desolate, somewhere where she should be alone, that this man, the beloved, she has found refreshment in him. And again, I think that comes from the sense of security that she has because of the love that he's given her, right? In the same sense, we have the refreshment from the Lord that we receive, and it all starts with the love that he's given us. So verse 15, behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes. This is his response to her as she speaks. He says it twice. You are fair, my love. You are fair. He is like really enraptured by her beauty, right? By her outward beauty. He's like, you are so beautiful. Like, I, I can't even put into words how he says it. Like, obviously, he says you're fair, right? You're gorgeous. What does he say before in verse 9 or in uh, verse 8? He says, you're the fairest among women. You're the most beautiful. He can't get over how beautiful she is. Obviously, outward here, but what have we read through the first, you know, chapter is that he also sees her inward beauty, right? He sees her. In- it's not like this guy's blind, Am I right, guys? Yeah, women, right? Like we see the opposite sex. Like you, sometimes you see, oh man, that, that guy's, he's pretty cute. Or that girl, she's, she's pretty cute, right? Again, there's nothing wrong with the outward appearance. It only becomes wrong when what? When that becomes the only thing you're worried about, whether that's about yourself or someone else. So what does he do? He compliments her eyes, right? He compliments her eyes. He says, you have dove's eyes. What did he compliment before? her cheeks, right? Again, nothing sexual, but really appreciating the little things and noticing the little things. And listen, I I believe that many women, if not all, they appreciate that when guys take notice of the little things. Like, oh my gosh, did you just get a haircut, right? And the girl cut like that much hair off. You know what I mean? They expect us to like realize. But if you do, that's like the most wonderful thing that you could do. Noticing the little things, like what's the color of her eyes, right? How, what kind of drink does she get at Starbucks every time she goes, right? Do you know these things? Or you guys ever watch movies when the girl's like, you know in every movie, like 
every romance movie, there's like one girl and two guys. There's always like a love triangle. It's kind of like um, the no- sure the Notebook. Oh, what, what, what's what's the Wolf movie or Vampires? What's that called? Twilight, right? Listen, shh. And there's always like, I mean, this is like in every movie. There's like two guys vying for one girl, right? And the girl always starts off with the guy that's like, he's a, he's a butt, right? Like, he's like the cool guy on campus. You know, he's strong, he's athletic, he's good looking. And, but he doesn't, he's not, he doesn't know anything about her, right? Because he's just so self-centered and he's, he's superficial. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? And then the other guy comes along and he's like a little bit lesser, but he's like, he notices the details about her. Again, this is like every single movie. And then all of a sudden she realizes, oh my gosh, he knows my favorite color. Or he noticed that like, you know, I got my fingernails painted. And to a woman, I mean, that's, that's a nice thing. Noticing the little things and seeing them, it's important. And he does this here. Right? He says, you, you have dove's eyes. He notices the delicate features of her cheeks, her eyes. Right? He takes careful note of how she looks, and, and he tells her. He adores her. And in verse 16, he says, behold, you, she says, behold, you are handsome, my beloved. Yes, pleasant. Also, our bed is green. And so she responds to his expression of love by basically saying the same exact thing. Here's the same word as beautiful that he, he uses for her, but she uses the masculine form of it. You are handsome, right? Yes, pleasant. Well, what does that mean? That means he's delightful to be around, right? They had a good friendship. You know, I think if, if you can't stand to be around the person, <laughs> that might not be the right person, right? But here again, it speaks to the, the, the good friendship they had, that they were best friends, that they delighted to be around each other just for the sake of being together. And again, this had nothing to do with any type of physical intimacy, but just the fact that they wanted to be in each other's presence, and she ends this verse by saying, our bed is green. What does that mean? I'll get to it in a minute. I'm almost done. She says, the beams of our houses are cedar and rafters of fir. And we'll end there tonight. But I have a lot to share with you in those three verses, in those two verses. But what I want to leave you with really quick is she's not speaking so much of her literal bed being literally green. She's not so much speaking of their houses made, you know, of beams of cedar or that the rafters of fur, shh, wait, bear with me. But the implication here is that their relationship is outside. And the bed is actually a word for, for couch. It's not a literal bed. It's not like they're sharing a, a bed, they're sharing a couch. And so what we see is she says, our, our couch is green, our house is seat, our rafters are fur. Well, what does that mean? Again, our courting, our dating, our relationship, our friendship is done outside. Well, what does that mean? That means it's done in the light. And that's not to say that, like, they never went inside together, right? But what she is implying is that everything they're doing, they're doing in the light, and they're not doing in the darkness. That they're doing in the public, and they're not doing it in private. And what I want to speak on next time we get together is the integrity that we are to have and how we can get that integrity to do what is right because we are called as children of God to walk in what? Light to walk in the light and not walk in darkness anymore because God says you were once darkness. He doesn't even say you were once in darkness, but you were once darkness. 
And by, by maintaining a relationship in the darkness or in privacy, right? And this is not a matter of like not telling the whole world that like, hey, we're dating. But I'm talking about doing stuff behind closed doors or when no one's watching. Yes, you can have integrity and do things right, but it is much harder. And so for accountability's sake, to do things right, they do things in the light. And we'll talk about um, that a little bit more as we, we dive into this next week and see what Scripture talks about integrity and doing things in the light.